Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Um, If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, that we are going through the book of Genesis together. Now, typically as a church, what we like to do is we love to go through books of the Bible. We love to, uh, anytime we teach, even if it's on a topic, uh, we're not going to teach the topic. We're going to teach what God's Word says about that topic. Um, And then we also love to just take books of the Bible, go through, read verse by verse, and talk about uh, what God is saying through that and teach through that. Uh, The book of Genesis is a really big book. It's got a lot of great stuff in there. We could probably spend the next couple of years, the church family, uh, gathered around the book of Genesis. And we may do that uh, at some point in the future. But for this summer, what we're doing is we're kicking off the summer just by doing what we call a survey of the book of Genesis. Well, we're just going to hit a couple of main points. We may or may not hit your favorite story. And uh, and so if not, uh, or you have a lot of questions, like people get questions all the time, right, about, uh, well, what did God mean by this? And what did this, how did this happen? And what about this? And today, man, we're going to be in a part, a section of scripture where there are a lot of questions. There have been entire documentaries and museums and all sorts of things just about this one thing we're going to be talking about today. And we don't want to leave you uh, blind. We don't want to leave you in the dark. We're not going to be able to answer every single question right here. Um, But if you do have questions, we've set up a very special email address that you can email all of your questions to. Uh, It's wes at impactfxbg.church. And uh, you can email that and uh, be really great. Have you gotten any emails yet? No. He's ready. He's ready. All right. Uh, Hey, uh, uh, today we're going to be chatting. We kind of got through Genesis. If you're just joining us, uh, words ago, we talked about creation. We talked about how God created the heavens and the earth. Most important uh, words of the Bible, maybe, especially about creation, the first five words, right? In the beginning, God created. And we talked about those five words and um, and then just spent some time worshiping uh, through uh, the book of of Genesis chapter one and just kind of letting that nourish our souls. And then Last week we talked about how if that was God's design, how God's design, um, we went astray from that as humans. We talked about Genesis chapter 3, and uh, we talked about how sin entered the world and what the results of that sin was, and, and how God, even from the very beginning, had a rescue plan in place for us to save us from our sins and bring us back to God the Father. And so, uh, so you look at that and you go, okay, so far, God created the heavens and the earth. It was good. Um, Adam and Eve came. Uh, they dwelled with God. Everything was cool. Serpent came, caused, tempted them. <clears throat> they sinned. God kicked them out of, the, out of the garden. And you would think, man, okay, everything's cool. Like, now they'll kind of get back, get back on track, right? Well, just a couple of chapters later, um, we, we are right here. And uh, so I want to encourage you, since we're not able to take it verse by verse, man, if you're looking for something to read this summer, if you're like, I need to get in the Bible, but I'm not sure where to start. I'm not sure. Well, God has given us a starting point. Uh, the book of Genesis literally means the beginning. And uh, it's a really great place to start. And so uh, I would encourage you this summer, dive in and read through that with us. And uh, it'd be really great. So uh, today we're going to be talking about a popular uh, story in the Bible 
called Noah's Ark, right? Um, and you've probably heard this, like whether you grew up in church like I did, and you've heard some of these stories before, even if you haven't grown up in church, you've heard about Noah's Ark, right? Like um, there's, we, we do all of this stuff about Noah's Ark. In fact, last week um, I was flipping through and I found this documentary, uh, one of the things that we stream, and there's a documentary, basically I think it was like the Discovery or National Geographic, and they did this discovery of Noah's Ark and had this like thing where they could, this uh, super technology where they could go, I think it may have probably all made up anyway, because, you know, I could do that. I could say, well, I'll use my super technology, and it's true, you know. And so they do that, and they do all this super technology, and they figure it out, and they're trying to explain all of the, but I said, like, questions nobody's really asking, you know, like, what exactly did the animals look like, and if there were giraffes, how tall were they, and what, it, you know, like, nobody's asking those questions, you know, like, well, okay, whatever, you know. And we look at, like, Noah's Ark, there's been so much, like, there's an entire museum uh, out in, I don't know, I think it's like in Kentucky or something. Anybody ever been to the Noah's Ark place? They got like the replica. You've been there. That's amazing. I should have done some research with you. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, my, my daughter Zoe got a book back. Someone, a relative went and visited there and uh, brought her a book back. And it was actually one of the craziest kids books I've ever read. Like I've read that story time and time again, but it was like based on the scientific, uh, you know, developments of all the animals and so we're flipping through, and Zoe's like, Dad, Dad, what's that? What's that animal? And I'm like, Baby girl, I have no idea. It's either a rhinoceros or a unicorn, but it's one of those two things. And so now, like, she is completely convinced unicorns were on Noah's Ark. So if any of you ruin that for her, that is between you and Jesus. And you're going to have to take that up with him, all right? But for real, like, we, we do stuff like that, right, with, with Noah's Ark, like this this cute little children's story and, you know, that time that God got really ticked off at all of humanity and destroyed everyone and everything. And we're like, that'd be a good bedtime story for the little kids, you know? Gather around, little Timmy. I want to tell you a little friendly story, you know? And so what we do is like in our kids' men, I don't know if any of you grew up in church, if any of you uh, did a, a coloring page like this, right? Like um, where you look, I mean, look how happy everybody looks. And what, what amazes me is this is in the middle of the flood. Like, like this is like the water. Like she is so high, but look at the starfish. Like the starfish is living her best life. Like she is just so happy right now. And the fish are excited. The elephant and the bear is like waving bon voyage to everybody. And, you know, it's like, I mean, we, a lot of times we get this and I'm guessing that's, that's Noah. And I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of weird the way we depict Noah's Ark sometimes, and if we're not careful, what we'll think is that Noah's Ark is really just a fairy tale um, in a book that is about these animals who all got on a boat, and God made them all safe, and everything was good, and there was a rainbow and a dove, and then everything was better again, and if we're not careful, like the same story we heard as children, we'll never go back and actually read it in the Bible once we grow up, right, and so it just becomes this thing that's almost fairy tale-ish, and I want I want you to hear me say say this is very important Noah's Ark this is not a fairy tale it's not a fairy tale this is a true story from God's Word it actually happens like we believe that every word of it is true but we should see what actually happened from the Bible and not just from the friendly elephant waving goodbye to everyone how sad is that because everyone's like drowning he's like see you bye all right, let's dive in. This is chapter 6, starting in verse 5. I have a warped sense of humor sometimes. Genesis chapter 6, 
starting in verse 5. That's what the espresso is for. If you're there, say, I'm there. That is good news. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I want you, to, want you to look right there, just those first couple of verses, like that doesn't always make it into the children's story when we're teaching the story, right? Like, but this is how the story starts. And actually, even before then, what happens is God looks upon the earth and sees that everybody's dealt into their whole sin again. Like, like, like just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they had more humans, and you're not going to believe this, but human history like repeated itself. I know it's shocking uh, to think through that, but that's what happened. And God looks on the earth and he says, man, there's nobody righteous. Like nobody is following me except for Noah. He looked at Noah and said, and we'll get to him in a second. But that's, that's kind of where God is. And so God is, is looking over his creation. And he is, here's what grieves God's heart. It is so far gone from his original good design. That's what grieves God's heart. God has an original good design for the way of creation, for the way of the world, and for our lives. And when we go against that, it grieves God's heart. Um, and so I want you, to, want you to just see that. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. But let's keep going. We're going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to come back to them. So don't worry. I just wanna, didn't want to try to trick anybody. Uh, go to, down to verse 11. Genesis 6, 11, And we'll pick back up. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them along with the earth. Okay? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to make three points today. I'll make a few points within those three points, but I just want to show a few things about this passage. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is number one. Number one, write this down. The first thing we learn from the story of Noah's Ark is that God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. Now listen, I don't think you came to church today to hear me expound upon sin. And here's why. It's not because I don't think sin is important. Obviously, God takes sin very seriously. It's not that I'm too shy to talk about sin. But here's what I've learned. What I've learned is that most sinners don't need me to expound and explain upon their sin. Right? Like most sinners who come to church are pretty aware that they are sinners. Right? Like I've never sat down with someone and they're talking to me about all the stuff going wrong in their life and this is going wrong and this is bad and, and I don't know why I'm doing this and this is messing up my life and blah, blah, blah. And I look at them and go, well, I think your problem is you're sinning. And they go, oh, I've never thought about that before. You're right. I am a sinner. Like, the fact is, most people, when you come to church, you don't need to be reminded that you're a sinner. You need to be told that there's a way out. And I believe that that is what the gospel is. The gospel is really good news that we already know that we're full of sin. We know that we are surrounded by sin. And the good news is, there's a way out. Somebody say amen. There's a way out. There's a way out of our sin. And so sin is this, like 
you've taken notes and you wonder, like, sin is this Bible word. And a lot of times what we do is when we say sin, instead of thinking about the truth of what sin is, we start thinking about specific sins that other people have like called out, right? Like for the longest time, I had this preacher when I grew up in church and when he talked about sin, he just always talked about drinking alcohol. So for the longest time, and, and saying bad words, and that was pretty much it. So for the longest time, I thought literally sin was drinking and cussing. That was it. I grew up in Mississippi, okay? So like that was, that to me, like that was, that was sin. So when someone says, did you sin today? I'm like, no, I promise. I, didn't, I have said no bad words today, right? And I, I didn't drink today, you know? Like I, and like there's so much, right? So like <laughs> a lot of times when we, when we think about sin, we like to think about those pet sins, right? The, the sins, like the specific things. But let me tell you what sin is according to the Bible. Sin is anything that goes against God's design. Sin is anything that goes against God's perfect design. And the fact is we're all born with a bent to go against God's perfect design. So the problem that was happening in Noah's day that we're seeing like these, this extreme emotion from God is that everybody was full of sin. Everyone was going against God's beautiful design. It was disobedience towards God. Now the problem with that, you may look at that and go, yeah, but if we're all going to sin, like why is that a big deal? Like you would think by now, after you know a few thousand years, whatever, like you would think that God would be used to sin and it wouldn't like, these are some strong words, right? Like you would think it wouldn't affect him as much. But here's the deal is that we understand sin, but what we don't often understand is God's holiness. So if you're taking notes, write down, God is holy. God is holy. And this may actually be more important than the truth that we are full of sin. <laughs> because we are full of sin and we, we're pretty understanding of that. But the truth is that the reason it's such a big honking deal is because God is holy. Everybody say holy. Come on, we're at church, right? We can say some words like holy, like God is holy. The word holy literally means perfect. It means um, set apart, not like us. So if we are sinners, then God is literally the opposite of sin. He is holy, which means he is perfect. He knows no sin. He does not, under, like sin is not him. So that's why he is so holy that the worst consequence of sin is us being separated from God. God and His holiness cannot be near sin. And if that's what we are, our sinners, then that's bad news. That means we can't be near God because He's holy. So hear this. God does not deflect His holiness to accommodate our sin. God will never, ever deflect His holiness to accommodate our sin. So our sin, God does not become less holy in order to deal with us. God maintains His perfection. God maintains His holiness. So what He's chosen to do instead is send us a Savior. One who can come and live that perfect life and give His life and then has the power to send a Holy Spirit that can change our hearts. Not to deal with our sin and, and just okay, that is what it is, but a Holy Spirit that comes and changes our heart to, to want God more than we want our sin. That's what God has done for us. And so this is what we see in Genesis chapter 6, is that God takes sin seriously. 
And guys, how we see our sin and our disobedience to God matters. Like it matters that we don't just look at it and see, oh, I know there's, I've sinned, but there's grace and I'm saved and I don't even want to think about it because, you know, I just, I know it's already been forgiven. Guys, the fact is, yes, that is true. But our sin, the way we view our sin, it matters because it is an offense to a holy God. God takes our sin seriously and so should we. And so this passage shows us how God views our disobedience to him. Um, Look at verse 5. It says, God looks um, internally at us. It says right there, he, he looked and saw every intention of the thoughts of his heart. Now that's scary. Because what it means is you may think you're doing everything right on the outside, but your heart is still trash. Like that's what's so terrifying about it is you may think on the outside, I'm going to church, I'm checking the boxes, I'm singing Hillsong on my way to work, like I'm doing all the right things. But on the inside, if your heart hasn't been changed, and it's still dirty and nasty inside, God sees that. And so there is no hiding from the Lord. Like the Lord, that's, that's why God is grieved. It's not just because He looks and says, oh, you know, Impact Church, they come, they worship me, they're doing outreaches in their neighborhoods, they're going around the world and spreading the gospel and their work, like they're doing all these outward things really good. The danger is God can actually peel back and see every single motive of every single heart today. Guys, did you realize God knows why you came to church today? Like, he's not impressed that you came to church today. He knows why you came to church today. To check a box, to impress someone. Like, if anything other than to worship his holiness. Like, I want you guys to think about that. Like, and that, guys, and I'm not trying to scare you, but it should be a little scary. That God deals with our sin because he knows the depths and the intentions and the motives of our hearts. So when we send somebody a text message and say, "Um, no, sorry, I can't come, something came up. God knows what's really in our hearts. So a lot of times, guys, we'll hide behind excuses. We'll hide behind text messages and we'll hide behind ghosting and we'll hide behind not saying yes or no to something so that, you know, because we got the fear of something better coming along. Like, we'll hide behind those things. But guys, listen to me. God knows our intentions. Like, there is nowhere we can go to hide from His holiness. We have to be confronted. Our sin has to be confronted. And so God looks internally. Um, Second, we see that God, when He looks internally, God grieves. In verse 6, it says, you know, it grieved Him to His heart. I want you to imagine that, like, what, what it might be like. You know, imagine... Um, thinking I, I've counseled with many of, of mothers and fathers who have, who have older children and they've watched their children go in a way of the world or, or go in a way where they've neglected or rejected the Lord and, and gone their own way or, or not even that, but just made decisions that they know are going to be harmful. And I've sat with those parents and let me tell you the number one emotion that I see in their eyes is the emotion of grief. They are grieved by the decisions that their children are making. And guys, that is the heart of our Heavenly Father. When we make decisions to go against His good design and do what we want, we grieve Him. We see in verse 6 that God regrets, right? Like, I mean, regretted He made man 
on the earth. That's extreme, right? Like, I mean, he made man, and yet the emotion that comes from God's heart after he looks in every single intention and motive of man is he goes, man, this, I don't know if I, I, I regret doing this. And then in verse 7, it says that he is sorry. God apologizes in verse 7 for creating humankind. Guys, that's the effects that our sin has on Jesus, on God and his holiness. So listen, I'm not try- I don't want us to, to sit here in guilt or shame today, but I want us to understand that we, when we sin, it affects our relationship with God. It's not, yes, we live under the gospel, yes, we live under the salvation of Jesus, but our sin has the same effects on the heart of our Heavenly Father. So when we make little of our sin, we make little of God's holiness. So let's look, because here's what's interesting is, is that may shake us or take us aback a little bit, but let me tell you something. God was not shaken. He was grieved. He was sorry. Um, he he was, had all of these emotions, but he was not taken aback that this happened. He didn't sit back and go, oh man, I have all these emotions. I just don't know what I'm going to do about it. Like, no, God knew exactly what he was going to do about it. He had a plan. Now listen, just like in the Garden of Eden, God had a rescue plan. Well, right now, God has a rescue plan. And let's read about it in chapter 6. Let's go back up to verse 8. We're going to read God's rescue plan. It says, but Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Oh, underline this. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want you to think about that in verse 9. It says, God looked on the earth and saw all of this, and God's rescue plan said, oh, but I see Noah. See, God didn't have to look far because when God knew that he was going to destroy the earth, God had a plan to destroy the earth and to wipe sin clean with a rescue plan because he'd been walking with Noah and saw that Noah was righteous, Noah was blameless, Noah was walking with God. Now, Noah was not perfect, but Noah walked with God. And because Noah had relationship with God, God looked at Noah and said, I think I can save this yet. Looking at Noah. All right, let's, let's skip down. We're going to skip a few verses and go um, to verse 14. 14, I'm going to then, uh, we're going to see what God tells Noah to do. And then after verse 14, I'm going to skip down to verse 19. Okay? So I'm just going to skip a few verses. We'll, we'll come back to all of this, but here we go. All right, verse 14, Genesis 6, 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Ark's just a big boat. Verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Man, underline verse 22. Because that right there is God's confirmation that he can continue the rescue plan. 
Because God chose Noah and said, listen, I can't salvage anything else, but I've got this guy Noah, and Noah walks with me. And so God starts telling Noah all this stuff to do, right? You're going to build a boat, and then two of every kind of animal is going to come and get in the boat. And he doesn't tell Noah he's responsible. He just says, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to make sure you have enough food and feed everybody. And in verse 22, it says, Noah did this. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, is that what would be written about your life? Like, you know, everything in Fredericksburg, Virginia was just going to hell. Like, everything was going really bad. And, uh, and, but I looked and I found, I found a person, Brandon, who, who walked with me in Fredericksburg. And so I told him, Brandon, build a boat. Like, Brandon, go, go do something that, that I'm going to use to bring salvation back to the planet. And would it write, and Brandon did it? That's the question, right? Because right here, what we see is that with God's plan of salvation comes man's faith. That Noah had faith. So listen to me. Noah sinned. Noah sinned. He was a sinner. He was not perfect. Noah sinned. But Noah believed. And guys, it is our faith in Jesus that plays a part in our salvation. The faith of Noah goes on display. He had to completely trust in God and put his faith in him. And guys, that's how salvation is gained today. But instead of having the faith to build a big boat, we have to have the faith to follow Jesus. So then we kind of move on. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to kind of play catch up for a little bit, all right? So I'm not going to read chapter 7 and 8, um, but let me just kind of catch you up. In chapter 7, we see that God commands Noah's family and animals to get in the ark, and, and then we see the flood last. Anybody know? I'm just going to test your, your old school, Sunday school, or Google skills. Anybody know how long the flood lasted? How many days and nights? 40. Good, good. I'm getting all sorts of signs from the tech booth. They're like on it. They're on it. 40 days and 40 nights. Um, oh, here's one for you. And if you get this question right, you, you can win uh, the Kinsey's car. Um, what? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding, man. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. Does <laughs> anybody know how many days the flood stayed on the earth after it stopped raining? A hundred. Whew. He was on it, man. He was on it. He said, I'm keeping the car, baby. That's right. He didn't want to explain that to his wife. All right? That's exactly right. That's another five months. So, so a lot of times we just go 40 days and 40 nights. It rains. That, that's a lot of rain, right? Like, it rains for three days in Fredericksburg, and you people lock yourselves in your houses. You're like, you know, Fred, city of Fredericksburg starts sending out river alerts, and, and everything starts going crazy. Everybody walks around like Eeyore, like everybody's discouraged and depressed, okay? Forty days and forty nights, it did not stop raining. And then the boat just floated on all the water for five months, okay? Like, I mean, I'm just saying. I don't know if you've ever taken a cruise, Five months on a cruise ship, probably a long time, right? This was no cruise. We see in Genesis chapter 8, it says, it starts off in Genesis 8, 1, it says, God remembered Noah. And that's my favorite because I'd imagine after, you know, it starts raining, <clears throat> maybe for a week, Noah's like, this is a lot of rain for a week. 
And then maybe two weeks, Noah's like, okay, yeah, the boat is taking off. Here we go. You know, three weeks, four weeks, it's still raining. Forty days and forty nights, it's still raining. And then a month goes by, the sun is out, and they're still floating. Two months goes by, the sun is out. Anybody going to catch up on their prayer life during that time? Like, I don't know about you, but I've got one prayer. Get me off the boat. Okay? That's it. And so I, I love the fact that it says in Genesis 8-1, God remembers Noah. Now, it's not that God said, okay, they're good for five months. I got some other stuff to take care of. All right? It's not that God forgot about Noah. I believe that it's, God says, man, sometimes, sometimes you're going to wait on the Lord. And that's where faith is best developed. Faith is best developed in seasons of waiting. And so if you're going, Brandon, how do I get the faith of Noah? Man, Brandon, I want the faith to build boats. I want God to say of me, man, there was nobody in Fredericksburg um, that, 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 was, that wasn't sinful. But then I saw me and, and they did what God said. Like, I want that said of me. How do I do that? Well, guys, sometimes that means your faith has to be strengthened. And the number one way God strengthens our faith is through waiting. That's when you think that God's not going to come through and he waits. And you go, man, a month is a long time to stay on a boat with two elephants. And, you know, a, a two months is a really long time. Three months is a really long Five months, man. Okay? But then what happens is the earth begins to dry. And God commands Noah and the animals to leave the ark. And by the end of chapter 8, what we see is that Noah worships God. That that's how this whole, whole thing, this whole journey ends. Is, is that Noah had some clean animals that he brought with him on the boat that were ready for sacrifice. Guys, that's how they worshipped back then. Okay? They worshipped through animal sacrifice. And so Noah got in the boat, headed for a front row seat to the destruction of the earth, already determined that when it was over, he was going to worship God. How amazing is that? That Noah already knew I don't know what's going to happen, but I know at the end it's going to lead me to worship. Guys, that is the life of someone who, who walks with God. The life of someone who walks with God says, I don't know how this is going to end, but I know I'm going to worship Him. And guys, that's what Noah does. And so we see at the end of chapter 8 that God is pleased with Noah's worship, and God makes what's called a covenant or a, a promise. And we call this the, the covenant with Noah. And he makes a promise and a covenant with Noah. Okay? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is the second thing I want to tell us today. Number two, write this down. God is patient with us. God is patient with us. Let's see what God says about his covenant in chapter 9. You guys scroll or flip over with me to Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to pick up in verse 15. Genesis chapter 9, 15. If you're there, say, I'm there. God says, I will, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me 
and all the flesh. God is on the earth. Praise God. Like we get through all of the mess. God sees the motives and intentions. He sees the heart of all people. He's, he's burdened. He's grieved. He's sorry that He made mankind. He finds Noah who walked with Him. Tells Noah what to do. Noah obeys. Noah shows faith. He builds the boat. They get in the boat. 40 days, 40 nights, a flood. 150 days, 5 months of floating on the flood. They get off. They worship. And God sees that He is pleased. And He makes a new promise with humanity. And the promise, He seals with a sign. You don't always get a sign with a promise from God, but God gives a sign of a rainbow in the sky and says, look, I want you to see this is a sign between me, a promise between me and every living creature that no more will I ever use a flood to destroy the earth again. Man, how patient is God with us? I mean, you think about it. And you know what's going to happen? Spoiler alert. We're going to break the covenant in two chapters. Like, it does not take long. We're going to mess this thing up again. And yet God, just like He makes a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden, they break it, go against it. He comes to Noah, and He destroys the earth. He makes another covenant, another promise with Noah. Because here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the covenant of God is always based on God's ability, not on ours. Man, that's good news for us. Because if your relationship with God was dependent on your faithfulness, I'm afraid we would all be in a flood right now. Like, that's just the truth, right? Like, if our relationship with God was dependent on how good and faithful you are, man, we would be in a big mess. But guys, the promises God makes are always dependent on His faithfulness, not on ours. And that makes... Yes, thank you, Jesus. That's what makes this covenant so amazing, is it shows the great patience that God has with us. Man, I love the fact that His wrath was not the final word. That God did show anger and grief and wrath towards mankind, but then He made a way for forgiveness. And He gave us a second chance. I'm not. Anybody else struggle with patience? I'm the only one? Nah, man, I'm not. Nah, I know. Because anytime you're trying to not say something, but say something, and somebody asks you, how can I pray for you this week? What's our go-to answer? I just need patience this week. But let me tell you a secret that my grandma taught me. Don't you ever pray for patience. Because then God's going to give you an opportunity to exercise your patience. Okay? (laughs) No, I'm just, grandma was a little theologically off. But she, her heart was right. She's watching this live stream right now, so I should be careful. (laughs) But here's what I want you guys to know. Man, God is so patient with us. We struggle with that. We struggle with, you know what the biblical definition of patience is? To suffer for a long time. It says long suffering. But that's the definition of patience. To be able to suffer with someone for a long time. So God makes a promise to Noah that he will not bring judgment widespread against the earth in this way again. That eventually there will be no need to because he himself will come and make all things right through Jesus. And man, we need to understand, I think there's a couple of ways that we need to show patience. Like, some of us need to show some grace and patience to ourselves. Like, you need to remember how gracious and patient God is towards you. And then you need to show yourself some of the same grace and the same patience 
that God is showing you. Man, remember, God is patient with you. Like He is being so loving and kind and and gracious and patient with us. But then there's maybe another group of us that need to hear that we should stop testing God, going patience, right? Because it's not that God's going to give up on you, but it's going to affect your intimacy and relationship with Him. You know why? how I know? Because I have three kids. That's how I know. So I just want you to know, listen, we're like God's kids. And so it's not that God, you're at risk of God being done with you, but when we test God's patience, we need to understand there is a day of judgment coming where God is going to make all things right once and for all. All right, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is number three. Number three, God sent Jesus to be the better ark. God sent Jesus to be the better ark. I want to take a minute and I want us to flip over to the New Testament in the Bible. And I want us to read what does the New Testament say about Noah's ark. Okay? And here's what's amazing is that Noah's ark is actually talked about a lot in the New Testament. Which meant this story <clears throat> excuse me, was very important to the first believers that they would go back to this story and draw from it faith and, and um, perseverance that they needed to continue. It's towards the back of Jesus. So let's go to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. It's towards the back of your Bible. 1 Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 18. Did I tell you guys number 3, God sent Jesus to be the better ark? 1 Peter, chapter 3, starting in verse 18. I want to read this for us. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Alright, notice what Peter's saying right there. Alright, let's keep going. Verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Here's what we see through this passage is that a wooden boat did not seal the deal. So God sent a wooden cross. Noah obeyed God by building a boat. And Jesus obeyed God by dying on the cross and forgiving our sins. Jesus is where we now find protection for our souls, just as Noah found protection in the ark. He is our safety net. He is our safe. He is our anchor. He is our safe place. Because only those inside the ark were saved. Peter says, count them, eight people. Eight people out of all humanity were saved. His point, you got to be in the boat to be saved. So what's he saying? Only those in Jesus can be saved. Now, guys, this is not a popular thing to talk about. But the truth is, and I love you enough and believe in this enough to say, 
That guys, it is only when Jesus comes back and he comes back to make all things new and there is a final judgment. Guys, only those who are in Christ will be saved. Jesus is the only anchor that you can trust in for salvation. Jesus, and if you're here today and you come from another religion or another culture or another background, I can see where that might be offensive for you to hear. And I just want you to hear my heart on this. And I want to say it's not that I believe your way is evil or wrong. It's just I believe Jesus is what you're missing. I believe Jesus is the puzzle piece of your puzzle that is missing. And I believe that everything can be now found complete. And the burden that is you are unable to carry every day can be lifted by Jesus. And I believe Jesus is our safe place to run. He is not lording over us saying, pick me or I'll kill you. That's not Jesus' way. Jesus instead is looking and saying, run to me for safety because I am your safe place and only I am able to protect you from the rains and the winds and the waves when they come. Jesus is the boat that brings us to God during the floods in our life. Jesus takes what is dead because of sin, and He makes us alive through Him. Peter talks about how there's this resurrection from the dead, that even though Jesus gave His body and died on the cross three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. You guys hear me? Like when we talk about Jesus raising from the dead, this place ought to turn into a church. Like this is good, okay? Jesus Christ, when He rose from the dead, He shows that He has the power to take what is dead in our lives and make it alive. Like this is the work that Jesus does. The only answer for our sin is the grace that we find in the person of Jesus. The flood, the boat, Noah, they did not fix sin. They did not have the power to keep us from sinning and separating ourselves from God. In fact, when Noah ends his life in the book of Genesis, he ends it in disgraceful sin. See guys, we are not dependent on what Noah can do or what a boat can do or what a church can do. We are only dependent on what Jesus has shown to us through His power over death on the cross and the empty tomb. In fact, let's just take Jesus' words from the book of Matthew 24. I'm just going to throw it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before entered the they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were un- Guys, this is, this is Jesus' grace towards us to say, listen, there is an end coming to this. And, and the boat was not enough. And so God sent Jesus to be the final payment and the final covenant promise that He makes with us. And if you give your life to Jesus, He forgives you of your sins. He shows great patience and grace with you. And He makes a way for you to be in a relationship with God so that your sin does not separate you anymore from His holiness. In fact, when you look in the mirror, you may see someone who can't stop sinning, but God only sees the perfect blood of Jesus covering you and makes you right for His holiness. Like, that's what God sees when He looks at you. Um, Worship team can go ahead and come up, but don't put your stuff away, because I want to tell you a few ways that I think we can apply this message today. 
I want you to see um, this picture. Some of you, it's crazy to me that there are now people um, who are like adults, uh, real, you know, uh, people um, who did not live through Hurricane Katrina. Um, I remember uh, growing up in Mississippi and Hurricane Katrina, I think, was 2005. Is that right? And um, you guys can see this image behind me. Um, just kind of picked this picture. It's from uh, CNN. But it was the picture that I found that I thought best resembled what maybe day 10 or 15 would have looked like um, in Noah's day in the flood. And uh, so let me tell you, like, just straight up, I'm not um, comparing Katrina to the flood of Noah's day, okay? Um, I'm not comparing that. But what I did learn was that floods are no joke. Are they, Wes? Floods are no joke. Um, But at the end of the day, those who follow Jesus have an anchor in the middle of the flood. And that anchor sometimes doesn't always physically protect us or save us, but it saves the most important thing about us, which is our soul. And so if you're here today, like I want to encourage you to call on Jesus to be your anchor in the flood. Floods are going to come. Waves are going to come. Floods are going to come from every direction, from if you're married, from your marriage, if you're single, from your singleness, if you have kids, from your kids, if you don't have kids, from not having kids. Like There are going to be all sorts of floods that come and take over your life, and it's just going to happen. No one, just because you're following Jesus, does not exempt you from a flood. Okay, But what it does, it gives you an anchor in the middle of that flood. And I want you to have that anchor. And so the way you can have that is I want, I want you to think for a second. We say this a lot. is like the solution is that Jesus saves us, right? We see it on T-shirts and painted across the highways. And uh, people say, Jesus saves. But a lot of times I feel like, especially in Northern Virginia, we don't understand that. Because what do we need saving from? We got pretty good jobs. We got nice families. We got nice cars. We live in neighborhoods that literally built a room for our cars in the house so we don't even have to talk to other people. We can just roll into the little house for our car and close the door and never even talk to anybody. We, we live, and so when someone says, man, you need to be saved, we go, from what? Are you kidding me? I'm living my best life. I've got everything. What on earth could Jesus bring to me? And the answer is that when the floods of life come, He will save you. And when the final judgment comes, Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, you will be saved. Jesus is your life jacket in the middle of the storm. But church, you have to have the faith to put Him on. Not throw Him in the back of the trunk so that you take Him out whenever you need Him. But I'm talking about looking weird. I'm talking about busting up into work in a life jacket. I'm talking about eating dinner at the dinner table, letting your kids see you eating in a life jacket. I'm talking about letting Jesus be your life jacket every single moment of every single day when even when you think you got it and you don't need a life jacket because the water's not so deep that you can't handle it yourself, Jesus followers go, nah, Give me the life jacket. Because I know that even on my best day, I need the saving that Jesus brings. 
Guys, that's how it goes. And events like Hurricane Katrina, they remind us that in an instance we need salvation. So keep that life jacket on. The second thing I want to encourage you is Peter talks about baptism. And I want to encourage you, like, if you've never taken the step of obedience to be baptized, There's a clear application Peter makes from Noah's day to say God used water and cleansed the earth of all of the unrighteousness and then brought new life as a result of it. And guys, baptism is a symbol. We at Impact, we don't believe baptism directly saves you. We believe only Jesus can save you, not by our works, but only by His grace. But man, we believe that it's a step of obedience. If you've never been baptized, before to show that symbol we want to encourage you to do that in fact this summer um, we are going to schedule we don't have an exact date yet but we're going to schedule um, a time to do baptisms out at the river uh, in downtown so we want to encourage you if you have not been baptized and you would be interested in that um, to sign up for that and so i think yeah we have the info right there you can um, sign up for that and if you don't get the number then um, you can stop by next steps and and we'll we'll get you um, we'll get you going Here's the last thing I want to encourage you with. Is that I want to encourage you to be found faithful even when no one around you is. The truth is, we are living in a culture that if we are waiting for the culture to honor Jesus, that's not going to happen. So we as the church honor Jesus. And we do not honor Jesus in judgment. Judgment belongs to Jesus, not us. But we are to honor Jesus even when people at work are not honoring Jesus. Even when people at school are not honoring Jesus. Even when people in our own homes are not honoring Jesus. Church, listen to me. We are to be found faithful even when no one else around us is. Even when you look at other churches in our city and in our area that are not being found faithful, that are not honoring Jesus, we remain faithful to Jesus even when no one around us is. And I just felt led to tell you today that this is hard. This is hard. Because we are going to be so tempted to just squeeze into something to be culturally relevant wherever we are. Man, let's be relevant to Jesus. Like, let's get done and walk away and go, Jesus, was I relevant to you? Jesus, was I faithful to you? Did I honor you? Because everything else around me looks like I didn't, but I want to honor you. And guys, even among some church circles and even some honoring Jesus and being faithful to Him is going to look weird. But I want to encourage you, with no judgment, yet all the love you can muster up, we must be found faithful, even when no one else around us is. And through that, we will give a testimony that Jesus is better. Let's pray together. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. 
If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.